After our Christmas Eve service, uh, somebody offered a comment on my Christmas Eve sermon. Uh, she said, so if I understood your sermon correctly, if I got out of it what I was supposed to get out of it, I'm to expect a new car for Christmas with one of those great big giant bows on it, right? And that wasn't quite the application I was going for. I, I was going for something else. I was actually talking about how the cultural encourages, you know, kind of materialistic and consumeristic perspective, uh, just in case it wasn't plain to anyone else who, who might have happened to have been here. I, actually, beside, besides uh, taking a, those new cars with big bows on them, I also took a shot at the movie Home Alone and how, the, you know, the idea of a normal American family jetting off to Paris for Christmas, you know, like, you know, because why not, you know, ever, doesn't everybody do that once in a while just to make it special? And then the next day, I heard that uh, Hank Colbert's daughter actually went to Paris for Christmas. I said Paris, Texas, Paris, Tennessee, no, Paris, France. She, she has a son who works in the State Department who is uh, stationed there, and, and uh, so she went there. So trying to get people to put, not to put too much stock in getting new stuff is an uphill battle when the very next day, the next day everybody's scheduled to get a whole bunch of new stuff, you know, new, new things. Uh, I'll bet you got some new things, too. Maybe not a new car, but some really brand new things, not like completely different from your old stuff. I, I got a new, uh, a new Fitbit for Christmas, uh, you know, activity tracker, if you don't know what that is. In fact, I got two of them. Is that a message? Is that a message? You know, gifts are a vision of what you are or what you should be, right? Actually, it was well known I wanted a, a new Fitbit because my old one stopped working. It just it got tired of admonishing me day after day after hour after hour, and it just gave up. It just gave up, and, and so I've got one of the newest, actually my choice of the newest of uh, version of, of the thing. Hardly anything like the old one at all. The old one's going into the trash, you know, out with the old, in with the new. And you got things like that, too, you know, the new... Whatever it is, new slippers, new robes, some new toys, brand new, never before seen things before. And then if you had an old one, you'd go right in the trash. You're just, you're, you're just not going to use it anymore. It's a new one. We were in Alabama this week visiting with our daughter and family. They got an Amazon, or I think Josh, our son-in-law Josh, got a new Amazon Echo for Christmas. Sitting there on the... It's, I don't know what you'd call it, but you see, or what you, how to characterize it, but you just talk to it. It's this little thing, sits on the bookcase. You just said, uh, Alexa, what's the weather forecast for today? And, and uh, Alexa tells you, and, and, or Alexa, what's the flight time to Paris, France? You know, she tells you what, what the flight time is, or play some, Alexa, play some Christmas music, and, and she does. It's amazing. Brand new thing. I, I said, uh, and, and my, bro, my uh, son-in-law, Josh, was upset that I thought of this instead of him. But I said, Alexa, open the pod bay door. And say, so, well, if you're laughing, you get the movie reference. You know what she said? I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. <laughs> That's what she said. It's a brand new, you know, so the way it is, the, the, you know, the fact of the matter, you know, Christmas is a lot about new 
things, new things completely different from the old things, things that replace the old things if you've got them, but just brand new things. Revelation 21.5, looking forward to the ultimate future, the ultimate future, the full flowering of the kingdom of God, when all the benefits of Christ's work, and all of them, you know, everything that Christ did for us that we commemorate here, we remember in the Lord's Supper, when all of it comes to fruition, comes to completeness, which is not now, which is not now, but it's coming. Revelation 21.5 says, And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. But notice this. Notice this. He doesn't say, behold, I'm making all new things. It's something different. He doesn't say, I'm making all new things. He says, I'm making all, behold, I'm making all things new. new. And it's a, it's a big difference. Over the years, I've become increasingly convinced that the Bible teaches that the new heavens and the new earth, which is well, that's what Revelation 21 is, you know, this full flowering of the kingdom, the new heavens, the new earth, that the Bible says in coming is, in fact, the present earth and the present heavens made new, renewed, redone, recovered, refashioned, redeemed Romans 8 seems to say so rather plainly I'll read some verses from Romans 8 this is start with verse 18 I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us for the creation waits what's the creation that's what we're living in that's where we're breathing in and out every day it's the created things the created world the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility or to sin, you know, to, the, to, what, to, the, uh, to fallenness, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as son, sons, the redemption of our bodies. So according to Romans 8, the fallen creation, the world, the universe which has fallen because of man's sin, will be redeemed, will be restored, and set free from its bondage to the curse of sin and death when the children of God are fully and finally redeemed, restored, and set free from their bondage to the curse of sin and death. That's the biblical pattern. What happens to us happens to the creation. We fell. The creation fell as well. Cursed is the ground because of you. We will be redeemed. The creation itself will be redeemed, recovered, restored. And that's, that's the biblical pattern. But really, it's more than just Romans 8. 
more than Romans 8, more than other passages that have a, that draw some connection between you know our salvation and the uh, and what happens to the earth, or specific passages that pertain to the earth, and it would lead you to believe something about the new heavens and the new earth. It's more than that. It goes beyond specific passages like that, and it goes to this uh, this consistent picture of the saving acts of God that always involve a glorious and wonderful um, redemptive continuity between the old, what's old, and what is new. There's a dramatic difference in discontinuity, too. There has to be. But the continuity is also there. The glory of God's saving acts is, is in the continuity that's behind the discontinuity. So, you know, apart, so let's explain what that means, continuity and discontinuity. Redemption doesn't mean replacement. When you, if you're redeemed, you're not going to be replaced. You're going to be changed. It's the same you that's going to be changed. I once was blind, but now I see. The eye is the same. The eye's been changed, but the eye is the same. And the continuity is, is the glory of it. Redemption isn't replacement. It is a miracle of transformation. And all the pictures, well, maybe not all the, there's so many of the pictures in the Bible of, of uh, illustrations of what salvation is like involve that that uh, continuity the sick person is made well that which was sick is made well well it's not getting rid of a sick person and putting a well person in the in its place the sick is made well the crippled is are, are made able able-bodied the leprous is made clean the one at enmity with God is brought to a state of peace what has been ruined has be, becomes functional. What's ugly becomes beautiful. What was dead is made alive. But it's, the, it's something that's changed, transformed. It's not replacement. Do you remember the story of the Gadarene demoniac in, in, uh, in uh, Mark's Gospel? Also in the others, also in Matthew, also in, in, uh, in Luke. This is the one where, the, you know, there's a demon-possessed man. He lives in the tombs. He can't, you know, he doesn't wear clothes. He's just a wild person, and, you know, possessed by demons. And, and he, uh, nobody can even go, uh, the, he, nobody even can even go on the road that goes by the cemetery. He's such a, he's such a uh, violent, demonized person. This is one, he's got so many, he's got, he says, what's your name? We're legion. You know, he's got... He's got uh, multiple demons in him, many demons in him. And this is the one when they said, cast us into this swine. You remember that. And he, Jesus gives them permission to go into the swine, and they all run down to the bank into the water. Suicide, I like to call it. Maybe. Okay, swine aside then. The, anyway, but that's the one. You know the story. Notice what one verse, Mark 15, Mark 15, 5. says, this is when the people come from the town. It says, when they, and they, that's the people coming from town, came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man 
the one who had the legion sitting there clothed in his right mind they were afraid now why would there be anything particularly frightened about seeing someone clothed and having a reasonable calm conversation with Jesus he had lots of conversations who were with people who were clothed and in their right mind lots of them nobody got upset nobody was fearful the you know the disciples were sitting all the time people could see the disciples sitting clothed and in their right mind having a conversation with Jesus that didn't that didn't uh, wasn't remarkable to people that didn't inspire anything like fear or alarm you know all of them the Pharisees were clothed and in their right minds having conversations with Jesus lots of them recorded in the Bible you know the woman at the well Nicodemus uh, Zacchaeus you know there's a you know Jairus parent the Jairus daughter's parents you know and all all kinds of people there's nothing remarkable about people clothed and sitting you know in their right minds having a conversation with Jesus but what was so astounding to the point of being unsettling to the point of being fearful about this is that this is the this is the one this person who's sitting clothed and speaking with Jesus this is the very one who was you know who couldn't keep clothes on who lived in the tombs who terrorized everybody that came around there Mark says when they it's interesting that Mark says when they looked at people looked at the man they thought of him just like he was when they saw the demon possessed man he's not demon possessed anymore though right but that's what it says when they saw the yeah so they connected it with him that's just that's that's who it is when they saw the demon possessed man comma and it says the one who had the legion uh, of demons sitting there clothed his right mind they were afraid afraid so it's like yeah that's the one that's the guy that's the same one but he's something's changed he's changed he's transformed into something else he's sitting there calmly he's having a conversation He's wearing clothes, for goodness sake. You know, this guy, this is, this is the same one that, that, you remember the way he was? New American Standard says, uh, translates it this way, that same verse. They came to Jesus and observed the man who had been demon-possessed sitting down, clothed in his right mind, and then it has this, the very man, as has that New American Standard says, the very man who had the legion, and they became frightened what makes it so alarming what to you know so astounding you know what it is it's the continuity it's that this person who's clothed in his right mind having a conversation it's the same one you remember the way he was yesterday and all the yesterdays before that it's the same one that's what makes it so remarkable so astounding they were fearful obviously he cares more about freeing people from their demons than he does about, you know, the unholy status quo we've got with the raising pigs. That's probably what they were alarmed at. So, you know, they, leave. Please leave before you cause more trouble. We prefer the demons we've got to, the, uh, <laughs> to what might happen if we, if we didn't have them. But it's, it's the continuity 
between the old and the new that makes it so remarkable. There's nothing remarkable otherwise about someone sitting in, in, with Jesus talking in their right minds. There's nothing remarkable about that. But when you consider who it was, he's been changed. Continuity. Discontinuity, to be sure. But it's the continuity. That's the glory of it. He makes all See the difference? He'll make all new things. He didn't get rid of that. He didn't banish that one to a different, you know, get him someone else to live among the tombs. Someone is more reasonable. No, it's the same one. He makes all things new. When Jesus feeds the thousands, when Jesus feeds the thousands, the, the 5,000 and then the 4,000, why do you suppose on both occasions, he started with something in the fallen world, something from the fallen world. Do you know what I mean? Why did, in other words, did Jesus need to start, uh, you know, did he need, when, before the feeding of the 5,000, did he need to start with the five loaves and the two fishes? Did he have to have, could, could he not do anything unless they came up with something, you know, to start with? In the feeding of the, the 4,000, did he need the seven loaves? You know, it said seven loaves and a few small fish. Did he need the seven loaves for like starter bread? It's like sourdough. You've got to have some to make some more. Is that, was it like that? Could he not have created it ex nihilo, from nothing? Like the Bible says, not only he can, but he does. John 1, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Ex nihilo creation, creation from nothing. Couldn't he have done that? Of course he could have. What would, what would have I dream of genie have done? You know, what would, <laughs> i give my age away, but she'd have done this, and there'd be a whole banquet, right? Whole banquet. Why did Jesus, so obviously he chose, didn't he? He chose to start with something. He chose to start with the little they had, the inadequate means they had, and he, in his hands, it became the abundance that they needed, and more than needed, by the way, Baskets left over. Baskets left over. More left over than what they started with. He chose to work these miracles in a way that there was continuity between, between what was and what he turned it into. There's continuity between the paucity of the resources they had and the abundance of, su of supply he provided. When he turned the water into wine, did he need the water to begin with? Was the water necessary to that miracle? Well, we got to get some water. Without the water, we can nothing can be done. Why did he start with the water from the six stone water pots that were dedicated vessels? Uh, for the um, the purification of the Jews, John 2. 
water set aside for the, for the purification of the Jews, which refers to all of these uh, hand washings they did. We've talked about that before, how they had rules. You know, you, you pour the water over. It has, to be, it has to be qualifying vessels. You can't just have it in any vessels. You can't have vessels used for something else. Had the water has to be a certain quality. Then you have to pour it on, as I recall, you have to pour it on this way, and then you have to hold the hands down. They pour it on that way. And all this is to make them ritually clean before the Lord, before they eat. Couldn't he have not have created the wine from nothing? Of course he could have. But instead, he chose to take the water that the Jews used for their, all these hand washings, which could not make them clean, right? And he turned it into the wine that would become a symbol for his blood, which can make us clean. Even in the miracle of turning the water into wine, there is both continuity and discontinuity something from the fallen world something that didn't really work <laughs> the way they wanted it to work right all that stuff up and down and all this way that didn't make them clean he takes something old and he makes it into something new as something completely different than if he just would have shown his powers and did something and all of a sudden there's wine in every glass all of a sudden there's a all the bottle after bottle of wine and it's a good it's some it's different there's continuity there's discontinuity and the and the glory of salvation is not in making the all new things but making all things new In our salvation, the continuity is very important to us, right? Because we are the old person that is made new. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. It's the old us made new that makes it great for us. It isn't, I'm going to get rid of you because you're messed up. You're, you know, I'm going to make a new one and it's going to look just like you. Nobody can tell the difference, but it's, you know, we're going to get a new one. No, it's the old made new. And you, me too, we're dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world following the prince of the power of the air the spirits now at work in the sons of dis disobedience can we say well that, that wasn't me that was the old me well it was the old you but it was you <laughs> it was you you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you walked that was you just because it was the old you doesn't mean it wasn't you among whom we also once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature, we were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, 
even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. The glory of God's salvation is that what has been made new used to be old. The glory of God's salvation is that what God has made holy, which is you, used to be defiled, unholy. The glory of salvation is that what has been set free from sin and death, as you, if you're in Christ, used to be enslaved to sin and death. What's been made right used to be wrong. What's been made beautiful used to be ugly. What's been made alive with Christ used to be dead as a doornail to God. And what God has made to be more than enough used to be completely insufficient. Think, what will we remember? Sometimes people ask, let me just suggest a few things. Of course, Paul remembers and will always remember that he used to be a persecutor of the church. Which, in Jesus' equation, means he used to be a persecutor of Christ himself. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Of course, he remembers and will remember that's the glory of his salvation and redemption to such fantastic usefulness in the service to Christ that's what makes it so great that he became this guy became the great apostle the apostle to the Gentiles that's the glory of it of course Peter remembers that he denied Christ. That's the glory of his redemption and his usefulness to the kingdom, his, his place in it as the preeminent among the apostles. Who's the first among equals? You know, his name is always mentioned first. Who's the spokesman? Who's the one? By God's grace, God's glory, God's redeeming grace, it's the one who denied him. The glory is in the continuity that underlines the discontinuity, and that's how God operates. That's what he does. He specializes in making all things new. Not all new things. All things new. I, I have heard of a Christmas gift given one year that offer, really offers a more appropriate parallel to God's indescribable gift of, of Christ and salvation in Him. It, it was a re-gifting of an American Girl doll 
named Felicity. Robin knows what this is about. Uh, the little girl given it, loved it, played with it for years. Face in the playing with it, you know, the face got all scratched up, their parts broken, you know, chipped, and things like that. Clothes got tattered, some pieces got, you know, parts got lost, things like that. At some point, the little girl had the bright idea of cutting Felicity's hair, which turned out to be not a very good idea. Didn't turn out as well as she'd hoped. Never could be, you know, is not the same. Not the same. Didn't grow back. And eventually, the old worn-out Felicity made her way to the bottom of the toy chest and then, you know, then to the garage and about, you know, then just uh, in the garage. But... But in the months before one Christmas, the parents of the little girl, now pretty much grown up, sent Felicity to the American Girl Hospital, sent her off. They fixed her arm and they replaced her hair and repaired the chips and the scratches and they gave her back again for Christmas. And it was most, one of the most memorable Christmas gifts ever, even though the girls were kind of beyond the doll playing years. The glory of it, what made it so great, was that it was the old one made new. It was the very one. Would it have had the same, would it have been anywhere near the same if they had thrown out the old doll and got a new one? Same model? No. It's the one she played with, the one she had, the one she still recognized. It was the same one made do and made new, and that's what God does. That's how He operates. He makes all things new. So why, why am I talking this way in New Year's Day? You know, Christmas is over. Okay, <laughs> Christmas is over. It's a, it's the first day of the year. Well, I, I'm speaking this way because I have a suggestion that's a little bit different than encouraging New Year's resolutions. In fact, it's a lot different. Uh, instead of setting your mind to change something, to improve something, to do something, instead of that, think about this. Think about intentionally giving him something to do what he does. <laughs> Give them what's broken. Give them what's worn out. Give them what's not working about, about your life. Uh, give them the worn out or tattered or altogether broken relationship that you care about deeply but you have not been able to fix. Maybe, maybe in some cases you give him your marriage. You know, you, your strategy for changing him or her is not working. I mean, you know, we all know that. Uh, give it to him, follow his direction, and see if what he gives you back is, is better. Because it's what he does. He makes all things new. That's a lot different than getting rid of the old one, getting a new one, isn't it? And lots of people do that strategy. Give them the difficult relationship with the parent. 
or with a sibling. Uh, stop, stop simply trying to win and trust the Lord with your obedience to him in the context of that relationship. Give him, your, uh, give him a difficult relationship with someone named Boss. Give him yourself. Give him what's not working about yourself. Lord, I'm a mess. I'm impatient. I'm lazy, maybe. I, uh, my faith is weak. And I tend, I, I tend to think of you, Lord, as a hard taskmaster. You know, there are people, I've heard this many, many times, really holding back a little bit because they're afraid of what the Lord will ask them to do if they give in. Our friend, we was in a discipleship group with uh, Dick Hall, and many of you know, but uh, he's t- he said in our, in our discipleship group when he finally came to... Uh, place of surrender he said lord okay if you want me to i'll be a preacher and i knew right then what he considered the worst of all possible faiths was but he was you know holding back is he a little a little afraid a little afraid of what god would ask him to do my lord my faith is weak and I always, I always look for the worst to happen. <laughs> or, or I have a terrible time forgiving others. It doesn't seem to be in me to do that very easily. I, or I tend toward unkindness in my assessment of others. <laughs> I don't love others like I should, Lord. I certainly don't love the lost. Can I just hand this to you this is my this is my five loaves and two fish (laughs) that's completely inadequate to the uh, to the task change me into something I wasn't before something I haven't been yet Lord would you make this part of me new Where do, you, where do you start? Well, you know, if you, if you stood before the judgment seat of Christ, what do you, what's the first thing that uh, you might worry a little bit would come up? That's probably an echo of the Spirit's conviction. It'd be a great place. That'd be something good to hand to him. Give him your eyes. Give him your mind. Give him what it's filled with. Give him the computer, give him the television, give him the radio, even. Give him your speech, the words that come out of your mouth. Give him your ambitions, your sense of yourself, whether it's unduly withered or uh, unduly puffed up. Give him your plans. You know, we're not talking about willpower here, are we? I'm not talking about willpower. I'm talking about surrender. Uh, Give them your insufficiency. Give them your never enough. 
Give them your never enough. Your loaves, your fishes. Give them what's not working. Your water for the purification of the Jews. Give them your I can't do it. He makes all things new. It's what he does. Give him, in the, give him the checkbook. Which never, by the way, which never seems to be sufficient. Like loaves and fishes. <laughs> never enough. Put it at his disposal. See what happens. Don't be afraid of what happens when he gets it. He knows your needs. He knows you need to eat. He knows you need a roof over your head. Give him your days. There's something that never seems to be enough. Give him your days. If you're telling yourself, I can't get done what I have to already. I can't add more things to be more devoted. I can't add. I just can't add more things to... Well, give him... Give him your days. Give him your hours. See what he does with them. Because he makes all things new. That's what he does. He makes all things new. Uh, Lord, in this new year, before the time comes when you make all things new, when your work of redemption is complete, Lord, please make some things new in the lives of all who hear these words. Lord, it's, it's how you operate. It's what you do. Heal where there is woundedness and brokenness. Uh, cleanse what has been defiled. Make right what has been wrong. Lord, we're not asking for greater willpower, but a greater willingness to simply surrender to you, to put our inadequacies into your hands, our few loaves and fishes, our, our means of cleansing ourselves, our fixing ourselves and our lives, and those around us. All those things that simply aren't working and can't work. But you can do what we can't. Before the great day, Lord, let us see some foretastes of what is to come by making some old things new now and some broken things whole. Set some wrong things right and show each one here today a place where you are willing to start, where you are willing to work if we're willing to put it in your hands. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.